This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Darkcast Network, where the light shines brightest on our indie podcasts. Crime Con is going to be in Las Vegas in 2022, and it's going to be super lit. <laughs> we are pretty excited to be able to attend again and meet up with some of the folks that we met last year, plus meet some new true crime buddies, hopefully you. That's right. We'll be on Podcast Row with many other great podcasts. Plus, there's going to be tons of sessions, big personalities, and entertainment with plenty of opportunities to meet other like-minded folks. Please join us from April 29th to May 1st. And did we mention it's going to be in Las Vegas? Viva Las Vegas! (laughs) Tickets are on sale right now. Just go to CrimeCon.com and be sure to use the code Fruit Loops. That's F-R-U-I-T. L-O-O-P-S to save 10% and let them know we sent you. That's CrimeCon.com. Use the code Fruit Loops. We are so excited to meet you. Hey, y'all. Just wanted to let you know that we had a little difficulty with the audio in this episode, specifically my audio. Wendy's audio sounds great. But we know that it's not great and we're going to do better in the future. We hope you can forgive us and we hope you can enjoy the episode anyway. So thank you for your understanding. And uh, here we go. This podcast contains adult themes and language and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race and murder. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome to Fruit Loops episode 150. Thank you so much for listening. Bienvenidos, yeah. bitches. Buiti binafi. We're so happy that you're here. Uh, yeah. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are able bodied, cishet white dudes. What? They just aren't. Uh, <laughs> there are a lot of podcasts out there about those people, but this is not one of them. And we are here to tell you that there are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them, like I just said. Now, we will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because... What? This can't be right. The, wait a minute. The news is racist? What? What? <laughs> Allegedly. (laughs) And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white. It's not her fault. We love her anyway. (laughs) 
<laughs> We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. So, who yeah. are we talking about today, Beth? Well, it's about to get culty up in this hizzle. <laughs> Hang on a second. I didn't even test out the air horns. Yeah. All right. Oh, culty in the hizzle. Okay. Tell yeah. me more. Today's episode is about Stephen Tari, a.k.a. Black Jesus, mm. a cult leader in Papua New Guinea who was also a rapist and an alleged serial murderer. Ooh, well, I'm, oh, I'm gonna, I feel a culture corner coming on because yeah. Jesus was black. Anyway, before we get into it, <laughs> how you doing? <laughs> I'm all right, you know, just hanging in there. Uh, yeah. Just doing what I gotta do. Yeah. Looking forward to crime. Oh, Con. yes, girl. I am so, so excited. excited. I was thinking, even if CrimeCon didn't take place... Like, let's say they cancel it. I'm still going to get away from my family <laughs> and be around Beth. <laughs> get, yeah. get away oh my from God, work. That would be fun. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but we are looking forward to seeing uh, all the the other pods that are oh, going to yeah. be there. Oh, yeah. I'm like, so, so excited. Um, affirmative murder is going to yes, be there. Yes. Uh, military murder Oh, my gosh. I'm so there. excited. Mama Margo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what's the other one? Uh, Once Upon a Crime yes. is going to be there. The prosecutors are going to be Fuck there. Yeah, they were our neighbors last year. Yeah. 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 Alice from The Prosecutor. She's so funny. I yeah, I like yeah. her. And um, let's see who else. There was somebody you t- um, texted me that you were excited to see. Oh, so this is funny. Um, it's uh, Candace DeLong. Okay is going to be a presenter and she's on dangerous women. Okay. And uh, I don't always agree with what she says, but she cracks me okay. up because she's like just really snarky. Ooh, okay. <laughs> well, listen, if OG says it's something to be excited about, I'm going to be excited about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. We've got everything booked. Our hotel, um, my flight from Atlanta to Vegas, um, Minnie is coming. He's booked. He's booked. Yeah. Um, and then we just have to get our little behinds there and and yeah. do this thing. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Full show. Yeah. So if any of you guys are going to be there, hit us up. Uh, send us oh, an yeah. email. We yeah, might do a, a meetup or something. Might do a meetup. Yeah. yeah. No, it, I mean that would be like my head would explode. Awesome. I am. I mean, <laughs> oh my gosh, dreams do come true. <laughs> uh, so yeah, let us know. You know where to find us. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, um, let's get into some listener letters. Well, hello, angels. Thank you. Ooh, what's in that bag, Beth? Just wanted to say thank you to Snowbird1979 for your five-star review. Yes, thank you so much, yeah. Hip Hop Air Juan. And we got a voicemail. Oh, yes. Yes. 
And I we've listened to it a few times. I think she says her name is Secure. Okay. But uh, not totally sure. But here here we go. Okay. Hey, Wendy and Beth. My name is Secure, and I live in Maryland. I just wanted to stop in real quick and say I love you guys. I love your podcast. And I just love listening to you guys every week. Much love. Have a great day. And that's oh, it. Thank you, Secure. Thank you, Secure. So that sweet. That was super duper sweet. <laughs> Yeah, Thank you so it. much. If I if I um if you become a patron, you might get one of these coming up, which is a tune because we've got some new fruity sponsors this week. Actually, quite a bit. Yeah. It was a busy week in terms of <laughs> yeah, it was a busy week. Um, yeah. And there are I have to say this for our current patrons and patrons, there are some swag um, letters that went out and were returned to sender. So be on the lookout for um, emails from me. Um, or Fruit Loops, like, what's your real address? Uh, yeah, or what's yeah, your so don't, can, don't cancel like supporting the show because you're like, <laughs> I waited, I've been waiting for my, uh, you know, stickers and and whatever else <laughs> Swag Beth puts together in these lovely packages. They're coming. Um, it's just something happened, so we're gonna get them to you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you didn't get your swag, let us let know. us know. Uh, that will definitely expedite the whole process. That's for sure. Um, so uh, like I said, we got some new supporters: Tyler C. Brad 70 Orlanda sent us a donation on Kofi. So thank you for that. Uh, Cheyenne KD. And I think that that's it for this week. So here are your tunes and I hope you don't hate them. <laughs> now that you're gone, all that's left is a band of gold. Ooh. All that's left of the dreams I hold is a band of gold and the memories of Tyler C. <laughs> if you were still Tyler C. <laughs> Thank you, awesome. Tyler C. For supporting our show. Now, Brebel70, this is for you. Uh, and I've been watching a lot of movies with my kids. So give me a break on this one, okay? Okay. You have your looks, your pretty face, and don't underestimate the importance of Brebel70. <laughs> yeah, thank you for your Patreon goals. <laughs> Okay, I hope you like that one. <laughs> okay, this next one is for Orlando. And then he ran into my knife. He ran into my knife ten times. <laughs> if you'd have been there, if you'd have seen it, Orlando, you would have done the same. <laughs> Okay. Very powerful ones. Thank this you. Week. Man, I've been really getting into these show tunes. I don't know what it is. Uh, we're still in a pandemic. That could be it. Anyway, a Cheyenne KD. This one is for you, Lady Peaceful Cheyenne KD. All the odds are they're in my favor. Something's bound to begin. It's gonna happen. <laughs> That's it. Thank you so much. <laughs> wow. We love you all. Those are great. Oh, thank you. All right. So um, before we get into our episode, we just want to say that this is a podcast about true crime and people of color and any really any anybody who's marginalized or othered 
or underrepresented. And true crime is difficult to talk about and hear about sometimes. And those things, including race, can be as well. So t- don't um, <laughs> don't come for us, uh, critical race theory people. You, this podcast <laughs> is not for you. But again, those things are just part of the world that we live in. And as global citizens, we all get the opportunity to talk about this stuff, not just the people who are adversely affected by it. It really does affect all of us. And we want to be we want this to be a safe space where we can have discussions. Sometimes we make mistakes. We talk about all the things as best we can. We're all learning all the time. And if we do make a mistake, we just cop to it and learn from it and just keep moving on our quest to be our best sexy selves. So if you can get down with that, then let's move on with the show. You got anything to add? <laughs> well, we welcome our listeners to be part of the conversation on Facebook or Twitter at Fruit Loops Pod or email us at fruitloopspod at gmail.com. That's right. So let's take a quick break and then we're going to get into the story when we come back. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. People don't always realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. And let's not forget about doom scrolling, sleeping too little, sleeping too much, under eating, and overeating. Okay, so the copy here says to talk about my experience with stress. Oh boy, <laughs> do you have an hour? Uh, where do I begin? <laughs> Work, bills, life, family. I could go podcast. on for a very, yeah, <laughs> podcast, a very long time. And I actually do though, in therapy, which is so helpful for me so I can manage, deal, and get through it. Stress shows up in all kinds of ways and in a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time. Here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color. Listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com fruit. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash fruit. All right, guys, it's it's time for me to come clean. It's okay. it's time for me to tell the truth. Right. It's time for me to spill the beans. Okay. It's time <laughs> to fess up. It's time to keep it a buck. Keep it 100. Are you going to get to it? Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. So sometimes after dark, I sneak away and play Best Fiends. Others may wonder about my mysterious disappearances. They say, who does she think she is? David Blaine? David Copperfield? I say none of the above. In fact, I'm having so much fun playing Best Fiends. Ever heard? of it? Why, yes, I have. (laughs) I love best fiends. I love collecting the little monsters when you play so I can level up my fiends. Also, I love going in for the super long matches to free up the board and beat levels. I am happy to report that I am on level 440. That's amazing. (laughs) Okay, friend, I see you flexing over there. (laughs) Now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting new levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. I am on level 304. Beth, tell them about the offline play. Yes, of course. (laughs) There (laughs) is offline play, so you don't even need Wi-Fi or the internet. Oh, good. So download your new favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. 
All right, and we are back. Remind us, Beth, who is our subject today? Well, today we're talking about Stephen Tari, a.k.a. Black Jesus, a Papua New Guinea man who formed a cult, but then was convicted of rape, and he also allegedly killed several girls. Mm, yes. Uh, now, before we get into it, normally we would get into the stats, but I have to say something about this Black Jesus. This is a culture corner. I'm looking at a map right now of... Africa uh-huh. and uh, Europe and Israel is part of Africa. And I have a cousin who is a uh, ordained minister. My dad was an ordained minister as well. And it, the context of race is something that's new, right? The, the whole black and white thing. But in the context of geography and where Jesus may have been in the world uh, on the African continent, yeah, that nigga was black. So shut up. <laughs> and that's that's all I have to say about that. I mean, and the Bible even says he had hair like sheep's wool. Like, come on, y'all. <laughs> come on, he was y'all. Black. He was black. Now stop fucking around with me. Stop playing with me. Anyway, um, and if you disagree, don't at me because I don't care. Anyway, so now we're gonna get into the stats real quick. <laughs> stats are usually my favorite part of the show. So Stephen Tari, a.k.a. Black Jesus, um, not the real Black Jesus, the one who murdered and raped people. His full name is Stephen uh, Garasai Tari, and he was reportedly born in the city of Manus in Papua, New Guinea, in 1971. He was convicted of murder and a convicted rapist, and he was also a religious cult leader, so he's a triple threat. Um, (laughs) Not quite Beyonce status, though. Uh, He died in 2013 in his early 40s, and he's uh, suspected of engaging in cannibalism, although Personally, I don't think that's true. I think that's an element of white um, media, white people telling stories about people who are not like them and completely lacking any cultural competence. And we'll get into it uh, in the story, I think. Um, uh, Like we we said earlier, he was convicted of four rapes. He was accused of, I think, raping more than that, six, uh, and is suspected of more than that, um, and accused of murdering three to four teenage girls. Rest in power to all of the victims in this case. Um, so now we're going to get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Well, Papua New Guinea is an island country located in the southwestern Pacific Ocean and is a part of Melanesia, a sub-region of Oceania in the southwestern Pacific Ocean. Melanesia extends from the island of New Guinea in the west to Tonga in the east and includes the Arafura Sea. The region includes the four independent countries of Fiji, Vanuatu, the Solomon Islands, and Papua New Guinea. It's so interesting to me, another culture corner, that, that we um, have to use the word independent countries, which is a good thing. But they were independent before Europe got all up in their business. Right. And, then, I mean? they, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and then yeah. they had to be like, Please go away. Uh, so, so New Guinea, the second largest island in the world after Greenland, is a tropical land mass divided between two countries. In the west, the Indonesian provinces of Papua and West Papua. And in the east, the independent nation of Papua New Guinea, the Bismarck Archipelago, the islands of Bougainville and Buka. Bougainville sounds familiar. Is that a Bougainville? Oh, Bougainville. What is that? It's a plant. Oh, Bougainvilles. I had a dog who ate all of them in my backyard once. Oh, yeah. They're beautiful. Okay, so Bougainville. Okay, Bougainville. Bougainville and Buka. 
and some smaller offshore islands and atolls are also part of the country of Papua New Guinea. The Torres Strait separates the island of New Guinea from Australia. The border between Papua New Guinea and Indonesian Papua extends from the Torres Strait north about 510 miles and is formed primarily by the line of longitude 141 degree east. So although all the climactic climatic re- regions of climatic Papua. yeah climatic whoa what's <laughs> next <laughs> all the climatic regions <laughs> explosion <Ooh>. explosion <laughs> sword fight sword fight um so although the climatic regions of papua new guinea are basically tropical they do vary in the lowlands mean annual maximum temperatures range between about 86 to 90 degrees fahrenheit don't ask me about celsius because i'm a dumb american person and the minimum <laughs> are between 73 and 75 degrees Fahrenheit. So it is cooler in the mountainous regions where night frosts are common above 7,000 feet and the highs average in the 70s. It sounds, sounds really wonderful. Yeah, it does. Can CrimeCon do a, a, an <laughs> event there? Yeah. <laughs> New Guinea's terrain is marked by imposing mountains and extremely rugged territory. So different population groups developed in virtual isolation. Each group develops its own language and its own tribal culture, a development that gives Papua New Guinea one of the world's most diverse cultural landscapes. That, I mean, everything about that sounds amazing. Yeah. Uh, The ancient inhabitants of New Guinea are believed to have arrived about 50 to 60,000 years ago from Southeast Asia during an Ice Age period when the sea was lower and distances between islands were shorter. The first contact with the island by Europeans occurred in the early 16th century, when the Portuguese explorer Jorge de Meneses, Meneses? Sounds like a disease. You don't have to pronounce it, Rice. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll just say Meneses. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Cited the country and named it Ilhas dos Papuas, Land of the Fuzzy-Haired People. Wow. Okay, <laughs> sir. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. In 1546, the Spanish explorer Inigo Ortiz de Retes named the main island New Guinea because he thought the islanders resembled the people of Guinea in Africa. Oh, boy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're brown. So so they're they're the same. They're all the same. They're they're just not white. So we'll just give them all one classification. Yeah. and a reminder, this is kind of when the idea of race gets constructed in the 1500-somethings or the early 1600-somethings. Um, it is a, a newer concept um, that the indigenous peoples of the world did not have any concept of because it's fucking dumb. <laughs> yeah. Um, however, it wasn't until the mid-1800s that European missionaries and traders began to settle on the island. Although their presence was limited mostly to the accessible coastal areas, education was in the hands of missionaries and practically the only teaching the indigenous people received about European life came from missions. So it was probably dressed up real nice. Well, these yeah. Europeans are so great. They bring all this stuff, uh, except they smell like shit, which <laughs> emphasized the central significance of religion in European society. By the way, that is that is true. <laughs> Europeans yeah. came to all these, and, and the indigenous people were like, what the fuck is that smell? Let's get some incense burning or something. And, and the white people were like, they think we're gods because they're burning, <laughs> they're burning incense. incense. <laughs> no, bitch. They just think your ass stinks. Think you stink. Yeah. <laughs> 
Anyway, as a result of the missionaries today, the majority of Papua New Guinea's people are at least nominally Christian. But much of the population also maintains traditional religious beliefs, and the rituals of magic, spells, and sorcery are still widely practiced. Over the next several decades, Papua New Guinea was claimed by the Germans, the British, and the Dutch, but it came under the control of Australia after World War I. All right, so the central mountainous region called the Highlands was thought by Europeans to be too inhospitable for habitation, so it wasn't even explored until the 1930s. Explored, yo, people, people were already there. It's so wild to me. Yeah. Yeah. So at the time, European explorers in search of gold instead discovered over 1 million people living in the fertile mountain valleys. And by the way, this is a culture corner that I think everybody should know. The Western white world or the European white world went to these um, indigenous places of the Americas and Africa and places like Papua New Guinea in search of gold. Um, And they didn't find gold. And instead they found people to exploit. And so, so think about that. Yeah. The people of New Guinea can be divided into four ethnic groups. The New Guineans from the north of the main island, Papuans from the south, Highlanders and Islanders. There is, however, considerable cultural variation within each of these groups. That sounds wonderful. So the peoples of the South Coast were notorious for headhunting and cannibalism. Throughout history, cannibalism has been practiced among many different cultures, and it lingered into the 19th century in other isolated South Pacific cultures. The reasons for ritual cannibalism vary. For some tribes, ritual endocannibalism, or consumption of a person from within the same community, is part of the grieving process when Mm -hmm. someone dies, Mm -hmm. or a way of guiding the souls of the dead into the bodies of living descendants. Mm -hmm. The Mayoruna are an indigenous people of the Peruvian and Brazilian Amazon who practiced endocannibalism. A Mayoruna man once expressed a wish to remain in his village and be eaten by his children after his death rather than be consumed by worms in the white man's cemetery. Hell yes. I second that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when it's put that way, it's like... I know, it's like, of course not. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always said that I, when I die, I want to be cremated and I want my family to smoke me in a joint. So I feel like that's <laughs> similar. similar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Exocannibalism is the consumption of a person from outside the community and is a ritual usually used as a celebration of victory against a rival tribe. It can be seen as consuming the enemy or absorbing the power from the enemy. It, it's, I'm just amazed at how like just spiritual all of the, these actions are, right? Yeah. Like on uh, maybe to a Western white person, it might seem re- uh, really bar maybe barbaric, I hate this yeah. word barbaric, but uh, uh, me, I'm just thinking wow, like it's all about the spirit and, you yeah. know, uh, it, it really doesn't have to do with like absorbing nom, 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 beef, yeah, yeah. My beef, beef jerky Uncle Barry. <laughs> it's really, yeah, it's, it's not about eating really. No. So, it's about absorbing energy. Spirit and energy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so many cannibal people have expressed a taste for human flesh. From this, some people have drawn the conclusion that human flesh was an important part of their diet. <laughs> 
this? <laughs> Who wrote these articles? <laughs> uh, <laughs> however, these expressions were largely symbolic. As we said, Biff, you took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> I should have read that part before I started talking. So desiring to eat the enemy was an expression of fierceness that elevated the status of the warrior and struck fear into his enemies. Makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. By the early 1950s, through administration and mission pressures, open cannibalism had almost entirely ceased. The Korowai tribe of New Guinea are among the last people on Earth known to practice cannibalism. Hmm. Interesting. Up until the 1970s, the Korowai tribe had no contact with the outside world. Um, and again, I just the word cannibalism, you see you see it and you think you're skewering up Uncle Dead Uncle Barry at, for beef jerky to yeah. like use, you know, uh, for whatever for, purposes. Yeah. But it really isn't about it's, a, it's ritual. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's rich. It's ritual, which is completely different. And um, right. context matters. And so I I, I, I am praying for more context in the discussion of of cannibalism, like in the future, you know. Yeah. Anyway, today. Today, y'all, in Papua New Guinea, people people's daily lives vary quite a bit with the majority of the pop, with, of the population living in rural areas. Many people in Papua New Guinea still live in small villages and follow traditional tribal customs. So Papua New Guinea retains a rich variety of village cultures. These are expressed in the people's wood carving, storytelling, song, dance, and body decoration. Mm, sounds lovely. The official languages of the country reflect its colonial history. English is the main language of government and commerce, but another official language and the most widely spoken is Tok Pisin, often referred to by English speakers as New Guinea Pidgin or simply Pidgin. It's a Creole language combining grammatical elements of indigenous languages, some German and English. Another language is Hirimotu, a simplified variation of the indigenous language Motu, originally used for trading by people who lived around what is now Port Moresby, the capital of Papua New Guinea. However, there are more than 800 distinct indigenous languages spoken in the islands of Papua New Guinea. 800. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. By the 1960s, there had emerged a significant independence movement in the country. And on September 16, 1975, Papua New Guinea declared its full independence from Australia. Since achieving its independence, one of its principal challenges has been the difficulty of governing many hundreds of diverse, once isolated local societies into a single nation. It's interesting the timing of that emergence of independence for Papua New Guinea, because that's also around the same time of the civil rights movement in the United States. Oh, yeah. And so liberation, word of liberation travels fast. Get ready for your starring role in a thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes, danger, and romance. That's right. It's June's Journey, and you play June Parker, an amateur detective investigating a series of mysteries. 
Ooh, you'll put your powers of observation to the test. Sharpen your sleuthing skills, find objects, and claim rewards. The visuals are fire. It's like a party for your eyeballs. <laughs> As you play this thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes with danger and romance in full force. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just need to get away for a while, June's Journey is the perfect game for you. It really is a sweet escape. I like to play when I need a mental pick-me-up. There is a detective in all of us. Find your inner detective. Download June's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. So now let's get into cargill cults. Cargill cult is a term anthropologists use to describe religious movements that arose chiefly but not solely in Melanesia that exhibit belief in the imminence of a new age of blessing to be initiated by the arrival of a special quote-unquote cargo of goods from supernatural sources based on the observation by local residents of the delivery of supplies to colonial officials. Cargo cults are based on a mixture of native and Christian beliefs and rituals. According to anthropologist Kirk Huffman, quote, you get cargo cults when the outside world with all its material wealth suddenly descends on remote indigenous tribes, unquote. Tan Otto, professor of anthropology at Aarhus University in Denmark, wrote that the development of cargo cults takes place in response to indigenous groups' struggle between ancient tradition and modern capitalism. Ugh, capitalism. And the cargo oh. cults arise in areas that are marginalized and oppressed. 
Cargo cults were first observed in the 19th century, but during World War II, a slew of cargo cults sprang up in the South Pacific when hundreds of thousands of American troops poured into the islands from skies and seas, and cargo was brought to them from boats and planes. The indigenous people did not know where the foreigners' endless supplies came from. They began to believe that the cargoes they saw being unloaded were heaven sent and their deities could also send them ready-made goods just like those sent to the foreign military forces it doesn't it's not weird that they thought this when this is sudden right yeah Yeah, it makes total sense Mm -hmm. yeah they believe that the arrival of cargo must be stimulated by some kind of religious ritual Mm. former customs were revived or current practices drastically changed and new social organizations sometimes imitative of the colonial police or armed forces was initiated. In other words, they came to regard the behavior of the white people as ritual behavior with a magical connection to the arrival of the desired cargo. So they imitated the behavior of the white people, such as dressing in Western clothing, doing military drills, or scribbling notations on paper and passing them around. So they thought these were religious rituals that the white people were doing. Right, in order to get the goods. They're doing their jobs, but, you know, they they see it as religious rituals, so Uh they imitate them, which Mm -hmm. makes total sense. It does. Yeah, There was a desertion of traditional ways and laboring activities in expectation of the arrival of the desired cargo. They believed a time of plenty had arrived, that there was no longer a need to work, and it was time to celebrate. Sadly, crops would be neglected, and pigs, which were greatly valued both for food and social status, were randomly slaughtered for feasts. Cargo cults still exist to this day. On the island of New Guinea, uh, the Paliau, Peli, and Pomio groups all follow a similar religious structure to that of the early cargo cults. Before you, you know, start thinking ignorant bullshit... Please consider that somewhere around 16% of Americans post-Trump still believe in QAnon conspiracy theories, which is, you know, close to the same percentage of Americans, by the way, that self-identify as Mormons. We're not picking on Mormons, just showing the scale. And uh, that the prosperity gospel, Joel Osteen-style gospel, um, is a strain of Christian belief that links faith and positive thinking to material wealth. Bless us, Lord. In very, it's very popular in the United States, these things. Yeah. And the book, don't forget, it, y'all remember, you all bought The Secret. I know I did. The <laughs> book, The Secret, sold over 35 million copies. I mean, we could go on. It's just yeah. this, these things um, it's are in woven. All cultures. It's in all yeah. cultures. It's not just BIPOC. Right. Or people it's not like, in oh, New these Guinea. people are so weird. No, right. no, it's so weird or no, so primitive. Not at all. <laughs> nope. We're, yes, we are all guilty of being a part of some cult. Amen? Yeah. Don't forget about those ladies who were in the... Manson cult. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Flourishing cargo cult activities in isolated villages are a major concern for people, government, and church authorities in Papua New Guinea because of the major disruptions that they can cause. In order to combat cargo cults, it was made illegal in Papua New Guinea to make false promises to people in order to gain personal fame and fortune. 
So now we're going to get into the early life of our subject, Stephen Tari. Um, so Stephen Tari was born in 1971. We have seen his name written as Stephen Garasai Tari, Stephen Nangimon Tari, and Stephen Tari Nangimon Gasari. Uh, since we don't know which is 100% correct, we're just going to call him Stephen Tari for the purposes of this, since those are two names that are always mentioned. Yeah. We don't know his exact date of birth or really anything about his early life. It's been reported that he was born on Manus Island, Papua New Guinea, but other sources said that it was his father who was born on Manus Island and that Stephen's hometown was actually Matapai Village in Madang. Another source said he was born on Manus Island, but came to Madang after his parents divorced. We don't know which of these is true, but there you have it. Everything we know. There you go. Get those wheels in your brain spinning. So now we're going to get into the timeline. So in 2003, at the age of 32, Tari began studies to become a Lutheran minister at Amran Bible College in Mandang. But according to one of the teachers there, Pastor David Malay, Tari was disruptive in class because he was always questioning the teachings and he often created debate and arguments in class. How dare he? <laughs> Tari left the school after just one term, after rejecting the teachings of the Bible, leaving behind both his clothing and his belongings. He never graduated. According to some reports, he was actually expelled from the school for theft. Tari retreated back to the Matepi village, Mandang, where he claimed to have graduated from a Hmong Bible college and was now a Lutheran minister. No, <laughs> you weren't. In Matepi village, he claimed to be teaching Christianity as he learned it through Amran Bible College. But what he was really doing was essentially creating a cargo cult, and he amassed around 500 followers. Tari kept the children of his followers out of school, claiming that he was the long-awaited Messiah and that through him, the people would receive education, free food, money, clothes, and health services. Don't let those people think. Don't let those kids think. <laughs> right. But all the things he's offering, education, food, money, clothes, and health. Hello. Yeah. Sign me up. Yeah, and, exactly. Um, I've, not, I've seen enough cult documentaries to know that people don't, they're not like, ooh, sign me up for the cult. They're like, no. sign me up for that stuff. Yeah. The good stuff. That good the life. good feeling. The good yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it is telling that he wanted to keep the kids out of school. Uh, he wanted, you know, he wanted him to be the only source of yeah. education. Yep. Yeah. Problematic, wouldn't yeah. you say? Just like so, the missionaries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whoa! Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Wow. She said just like the missionaries. And you know what? She's right. That's why she's my favorite white lady. Wow. Okay. Woo. I, it's going to be tough, but I, I guess I have to move on. We have so, to go on. Yeah. So, so when Amran Bible College was informed that a man calling himself Black Jesus was telling people he graduated from their college, Pastor David Malay was asked to investigate. Pastor Malay traveled to Matepi Village to attend one of the services. There he recognized the man calling himself Black Jesus as one of his former students, Stephen Tari. He was embarrassed to realize that this man was preaching theology purported to be Lutheran, but obviously was not. And Tari was asking for donations from his followers in exchange for blessings. No! Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> so, he was Joel Osteening it up. Oh, no. <laughs> See, 
Joel Osteen <laughs> thinks that we don't see what he's doing. See, but I see very see you, clearly. This, I see you. I see you. Don't stop trying to play in my face, Joel Osteen. <laughs> Uh, so in June 2005, Pastor Malay went to Madang and filed a police report accusing Tari of falsely soliciting property. A team of heavily armed police went into the village in force and arrested Tari. He was charged with spreading misleading statements, falsely soliciting property, and resisting arrest. As police built up a case against him, Tari was imprisoned at Bayon Prison in Madang. His jailers were actually not very impressed with him. They didn't think he was particularly imposing, and they described him as quiet. But he was pretty unapologetic about his quote-unquote ministry. Unapologetic about his ministry, eh? Yep. Why, yada. So on the, <laughs> on the day of his first appearance at court, as he was being transported to the courthouse, the police vehicle transporting him was waylaid by a large pothole. Ooh, it must have been an enormous pothole. Yeah, it fell into a pothole. Oh, my God. <laughs> so Tari took this opportunity to escape from the vehicle through a window, and he disappeared off into the jungle. Police chased after him, but were unable to locate him. Tari went back to building up a devout congregation from different villages scattered across the mountains. Mm. It's been reported that a Lutheran pastor, Logan Sappas, who'd been assigned to counsel him in jail, became converted to Tari's cult instead and assisted him. Wow, he was yeah. that good. He was that good. He's yeah. got the maddest touch. <laughs> wow. So Tari then set up shop in Gal Village in Madang, which he renamed Galilee. Very biblical. Preaching the same old shtick. Tari <laughs> cultivated the myths around him and surrounded himself with spectacle and ceremony. His followers believed that he was the new Messiah and even certified pastors began to follow him. This guy's good. He's good. Yeah. Wow. Tari ordered the destruction of rival Lutheran churches and terrorized nearby villagers who would not submit to him. He punished those who resisted him by burning down their homes, raiding the, for food and money, and driving hundreds of tribal people out of the jungle to the safety of the coast. Burning down the house. <laughs> he, he, he also recruited, quote unquote, flower girls from the surrounding villages. These were school age girls, some as young as 12 years old, who were dressed in traditional costume and who attended to his needs. These needs eventually turned sexual. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. It always it always comes down to that. It, with these I, really, cults. it really it does. Men yeah. are men. Ugh. Ugh. I, I, <laughs> I mean, human beings are very flawed, and it just seems like the more power you get. I mean, he was already driven. The more right, abuse. By, the more. Yeah. Ab the more. Yeah, it's abusive. Ugh, awful. Yeah. Can it I is. be excused? <laughs> In the village of Gaul, he would interview the young girls, stripping them naked and asking them questions like, had they ever been married? Had they ever had a boyfriend? And had they ever had sex? Mm. He was weeding out the non-virgins who would be sent on their way. Mm. The virgins would become his flower girls. It, that, that like hearing you say that just really made my stomach churn. And yeah, for gross. anybody listening, we have, I, 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 I know we put a warning out, but just, uh, this is just awful. awful. That, that, yeah. uh, that, for some reason, that really got to me in a really bad way. Oh, no. So um, he told um, parents that in order to open the gates of heaven, 
wow, he's got the key. He needed to have sex with the flower girls. He also cut the girls to get their blood and drank the blood as an offering. A woman named Dorothy Gasson became queen of the flower girls and was later referred to in articles as his wife. However, she has said that she was forced to be his wife. Which Which I believe. I I 100% believe. Yeah. Rita Hammond, a 13-year-old girl from one of the villages, was recruited as a flower girl. Her mother allegedly told her that she had to have sex with Tari in order to bring blessings on the family. Relatives of Rita later said that she'd been stripped naked, tied to a bed, and raped by Tari before he cut her throat. Oh, my God. Uh, Wow. Uh, So... Um, her relative said her blood was drained into a coconut shell and drank by Tari and some of his followers during a ceremony and that they had also eaten strips of her flesh. It is also alleged that Rita's mother also drank her blood, although she denies this. Two more young women were later allegedly sacrificed in similar ceremonies. Rita's sister, Evanik, 16, and a 13-year-old girl named Siralas. By June 2006, with a following of about six thousand people no six thousand oh my god yeah wow the size of the cult was impossible to hide according to pastor kyther warity of amron bible college he heard about the black jesus who was preaching to the villagers so he made a journey into the mountains to see for himself According to Pastor Wardy, quote, Stephen had made a platform on the tip of the highest peak and was addressing an enormous crowd of at least 6,000 people. His hair was much longer and his face was tattooed with colored markings. He was wearing a long white shroud like the kind Jesus wears in all the paintings and his feet were bare. On the ground in front of him were two cross spears and two bush knives and on each side of him were 25 of his flower girls, all naked except for a small cloth. (sighs) In front of the crowd? In front of the crowd. Oh, man. He had his arms wide as if he were embracing all the people, and he was telling them that the Jesus the missionaries had told them about was a liar and that he was the chosen son of God. Okay, I'm just going to say one of those statements is true. Now. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder which one. (laughs) Decide for yourself. 3 a.m., the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the Matrix, cult leaders, missing 411, night marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3 a.m., the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become 
Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. Uh, So with the wind blowing in his robes, he shouted that the people should burn their Bibles because they were filled with untruths. He commanded the gathering to follow him because he promised they would benefit from great gifts from God, unquote. Pastor Wardy brought this to the attention of the police. But by this time, Tari had bodyguards who met police when they again attempted to arrest Tari during what they had dubbed Operation Black Rose. The names of these operations are so yeah, funny. I'm mean, just I going through my why. Rolodex in my brain. Operation Black Rose, huh? Okay. Okay, girl. So police met strong resistance from cult guards carrying guns, spears, and bush knives, which I think are like machetes. Yeah. However, um, the guards were ill-equipped to fight the police, and it is believed that seven of them were killed during the melee. Uh Melee is not a word I get to use very often. I'm very happy I got to use it today. You're welcome. Thank you, Beth, for your writing styles. I appreciate it. The guards were at least successful in delaying the police, and Tari was again able to disappear into the jungle. Afterwards, police found Rita Hemmons' decomposing body buried in Tari's camp. Mm. A post-mortem carried out on Rita's body confirmed the stories of sacrifices. There were severe knife wounds to her neck and torso, and both of her palms had been slashed. Although I did not see anything that said that there were was were pieces of flesh cut from her. Okay. Okay. So, and I did not find that either. I'm yeah. just going to say. So it was just a story that uh, she'd been cannibalized, or that the bodies had been cannibalized. Yeah, so. that's that. That was the thing. It was just a story. It, there was the sources I referred to said there wasn't evidence of it. So, right. The only evidence was the um, it looked like a ritual murder. Right. And, you know, again, we're reading articles by people who y- you got to sell the story. Right. The editor has mm-hmm. to approve it. Right. And so, yeah, um, if you got and the headlines too, exactly, like, you have cannibal yeah. kills, you yeah. know, blah, blah, blah. And then yeah. you read the story and there's nothing in there about cannibalism. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so many of Tari's followers were arrested and charged. And it was at this time that the general public learned of his activities. Police arrested 30 flower girls, some as young as eight years old, who were then brought to the Madang for trial basura 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 so awful that Mm -hmm. they arrested the girls yeah that's victim blaming and i i I, what this was mid-2000s we should have well people should have known better um uh, as far as how the girls involved in this they are victims they are not criminals right The girls were placed under the custody of the Lutheran Church for counseling, and the underage girls were released into the community to do community work. The older girls served time at Madang's Bayon Prison. Hmm. Dorothy Gasson, the queen of the flower girls, served time for allegedly helping Tari seduce and abuse young girls. She was only 18 at the time. She was young, too. Yeah. So, I mean, she she was 18 when they arrested her, but she was probably in this cult. A lot younger when she joined yeah yeah and it was probably her parents who joined and uh you know offered her Uh as a flower girl and i mean it's awful 
it that is. They, that but they remember what he was offering. I mean, exactly. healthcare, food, shelter, yeah. like basic necessities that weren't being provided elsewhere. They, these gonna, people were really poor. Mm-hmm. I was I was listening to a lot of um, podcasts and videos about this region, and it was all from the white gays. A lot of missionaries who went over there, and one thing that was. Re- repeated over and over again that made me really sick was they talked about how dirty everything was and they talked about how poor everything was. And that was it just in the context, not here's why this is that way. And um, here's, it just seemed like a, like an accusation. Um, And, um, but I think it's also telling that the conditions were not, not like what we are used to here in the United States. And that, that leaves things to be desired. And we as human beings, no matter who you are, have very basic needs, food, shelter, and um, safety and love. I can't think of the other ones, Um, but that's what the, the um, cult was offering. And that's what cults offer in general. Right. Right. Exactly. Needs Needs filled. Fill my needs. Um, (laughs) Okay, so because of the publicity, when Tari returned home from Matepi Village, the people there captured him. Yes, justice. They beat (laughs) him up really bad. They paraded him around to prove that he was not the fucking Messiah. Just a man beaten up by a bunch of regular degular folks. And (laughs) the 50 or so of Tari's followers who had uh, been arrested, including the flower flower girls, later publicly renounced Tari and reconciled with their churches and communities. Hell yeah! Yeah. Hood justice is the best kind of justice. So now we're going to get into the investigation and the arrest. On March 20th, 2007, Tari was imprisoned at Bayon Prison again, separated from the general population due to threats against his life. He was charged with six counts of aggravated rape, five of them committed against his underage flower girls. Allegations of murder were also made against Tari, but he was never tried due to lack of evidence. Well, I guess that's it for the trial, but um, (laughs) just a little snippet. Uh, So Tari appeared in court in October of 2007. He argued in his defense that, quote, these women were flower girls and this was the work of the minister and permitted by the religion. Y'all, religious freedom, unquote. That's what you missionaries taught us, right? (laughs) Religious freedom, civil rights. Uh, (laughs) Out of the six rape cases, he was found guilty of four. He was sentenced to 20 years in prison. He was classified as not a risk to the other prisoners, and he was placed in the main prison population. At first, he seemed to be a model prisoner. He was cooperative, obeyed the rules, interacted well with the other prisoners, and engaged in work as requested. But he continued to evangelize while in prison. Hmm. He told his fellow prisoners that God belonged to Papua New Guinea, not the white people, and that white people had lied to them. He convinced many of them to join his ministry. And on March 21st, 2013, after 30 months in jail, Tari escaped prison with the help of his prison followers in one of Papua New Guinea's largest prison breaks in which over 40 prisoners escaped. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. 
Wow. That's a lot. The prisoners has, had used a bolt cutter to cut a hole in the prison fence and then took off. Wow. So now we're going to get into where are they now? Well, the escapees hid away in the jungle and a massive manhunt for Stephen Tari was launched. But in August of 2013, the police were contacted by villagers who told them that don't worry about it. Stephen is dead. Just dust the dirt <laughs> off my hands. The villagers led police to an area outside of Gal Village where he had been buried. It's been reported that while he was on the run, he committed a final ritualistic murder, that of a 15-year-old schoolgirl named Rose Wagam. The following day, he attempted the same with a 14-year-old girl. Mm. But by then, the villagers had had enough and they stopped him. <laughs> I just keep thinking of that Ian Van Zant meme. Not on my watch. <laughs> you know who Ian Levanzant is, right? I don't. Oh, she's like every every black person's therapist, TV therapist. <laughs> um, and she's got her start on Oprah, but she did Ian Fix My Life. And she um, does like these weird therapy sessions, which aren't really therapy, but these therapy exercises on TV for mostly for black people um, to see how healing can start. Um, And uh, she was talking to somebody who came to her uh, and said, Ayana fixed my life. And they weren't willing to do something she told them to do. And she slammed the table and she said, not on my watch. And that's what these, (laughs) that's what these villagers did when Tari escaped. So the next day, about 80 men came together to kill him. They split into groups. And as one came towards him, Tari fled only to run into another group of villagers. Gotcha, bitch. Who killed him? Got him. The men (laughs) tied a rope around Tari's neck and dragged him to an isolated spot where they buried him in a shallow pit. We're not even going to give you the satisfaction of putting in the effort of six feet motherfucker (laughs) we are just gonna do one or two and that's (laughs) it when police dug up the body they were shocked at the state of it tari had been beaten hacked to death with bush knives and castrated hello well if i mean he did deserve it he did his body exhibited over 40 stab wounds and his leg was partially amputated and slashes to his stomach revealed his intestines. Wow. I thought you'd like that Those detail. statements shouldn't bring me joy, but they do. And I'm a sick <laughs> fuck and that's my truth. God's not done with me yet. Anyway, Rose's body was also discovered. It was found to have multiple stab wounds and slashes. Her aunt and father, who allegedly buried her, were arrested and charged with being accessories to murder. So now we're going to get into our takeaways, what we think about this case. So what do you got, Beth? Well, again, with this one, we don't know anything about his early life. So Mm -hmm. we don't know what happened when he was young that might have contributed to his behavior. Mm -hmm. But according to many studies, cult leaders are people who tend to be narcissists and they generally exhibit psychopathic and abusive characteristics. Ah. And uh, this is an article from Healthline. It says, narcissistic personality disorder is a personality disorder in which people 
people have inflated opinions of themselves. Mm -hmm. They also have an intense need for the admiration and, and attention of others. People with NPD may be generally unhappy and disappointed when they're not given the praise or special favors they believe they deserve. Narcissists also tend to exaggerate their own talents and accomplishments while downplaying those of others. They are often preoccupied by power, success, and beauty. They might even engage in impulsive behaviors such as risky sex and gambling. Mm -hmm. Some traits of NPD may appear similar to confidence. <gasps> However, healthy confidence and NPD are not the same thing. Okay. People who have healthy self-esteem can be humble, while people with NPD almost never are. Mm. They tend to put themselves on a pedestal and per perceive themselves as better than everyone else. Someone with NPD can appear charming and self-assured on the surface, but they're often masking insecurities rather than coming from a place of self-esteem. Wow. The causes of NPD aren't well understood, but researchers theorize that it's likely that narcissistic personality disorder is caused by several factors such as environmental circumstances and genetics. Negative childhood experiences like being rejected or criticized by parents may contribute to NPD in adulthood. At the same time, too much praise from parents could also lead to NPD. Mm. Simply being male may be a slight risk factor, as narcissistic personality disorder is diagnosed more often in men. Surprise! Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow! Individuals yes. with narcissistic personality disorder have been found to have less volume of gray matter in the left anterior oh, insula. Oh, it's, wow. It's been scanned and yep. proven. Wow. The part of the brain related to empathy, emotional regulation, compassion, and cognitive functioning. Wow. Now, according to Stephen J. Morgan, who spoke at an American Psychological Association convention about cults, cult leaders have a desire for power and often take ideas from politics, religion, and psychology to fulfill their purpose. Uh -huh. And this is a case where, you know, that he took is, ideas from uh, religion. He checked for sure. all yeah. the boxes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. According to Joe Navarro, MA, who wrote an article about cult leaders for Psychology Today, they are all pathologically narcissistic. Mm. They have an overabundant belief that they're special, that they and they alone have the answers to problems and that they have to be revered. Mm. They demand perfect loyalty from followers. They overvalue themselves and devalue those around them. Wow. They are intolerant of criticism. That's and they a big do one. not like being questioned or challenged. Uh -huh. So yeah, he checks all the boxes. So to uh -huh. me, it sounds like Tari was a narcissist with psychopathic traits, uh, probably had NPD. Mm -hmm. um, but how he got that way, I can only speculate because right. I, I have no idea w how he was brought up. Right, right. Yeah, none of us do. Hang on a second. Boop, 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 boop. Uh, 911, I'd like to report a crime. Yes, uh, Beth has read this Stephen Tari character for filth. Um, and I think she should go to jail for it because that's how good it was. Wow. Wow. Oh my. I mean, we don't, I don't need to say any, I don't need to say anything else other than I agree. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm literally speechless, but like, I try not to look at your, your takeaways before we record because right. I want to be surprised. But wow. I, I'm spinning in my chair. Woo. 
call the authorities because uh, she hit the nail on the head. Okay, so all I'm saying is I agree. Thoughts and prayers to anybody who was victimized by this cult. But yeah. my, my my takeaway is the hood justice. Um, yeah, yeah. Sometimes hood justice is the best and only justice, period. <laughs> uh, and um, part of me did wonder, like, well, what happened to all those villagers who fucked yeah, him up? Yeah. But then I, like, hit backspace, backspace, backspace on my Google search because I don't care. Yeah. Tari got what. I think he deserved, and I'm yeah. not anybody important. I just feel good about the um, knowing that as the end of the story for me. So yeah, that he got uh, what he deserved at yeah. the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, so the punishment fit the crimes. Hell yeah, it did. Yeah, castrated intestines showing leg. Yeah. I mean that. Uh, I want a lullaby to say all those things because I'm going to sleep so soundly afterward after I hear it. Now, uh, we are going to get into how not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. <laughs> this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. That's right. So cults are, in fact, less rare than we think they are, right? They're, yeah. and, and I, I guess all that to say, they're more common than we than we realize. Um, and uh, so we talked about those broads in the Manson family. That's a cult. QAnon. Yep. That can mm-hmm. be considered a cult. And yeah. um, coronavirus and the misinformation over the past couple of years has not helped no, <laughs> with no. any of this stuff. Um, but as we know from the story, uh, and, uh, uh, in Pizzagate and the Manson family, cults can be dangerous and even deadly. Yeah. So a couple tips to avoid a cult and then just a couple um, suggestions on if somebody you love is in one, um, what to do. Um you can spot a cult, by, according to Steve Eichel, who is a psychologist, and which I am not. So I'm, that's why I'm, that's why <laughs> that's why I'm referring to Steve. Uh, Steve says, or uh, he says, be wary of groups with a single leader who proclaims to be the one who can or the one who will or the one who would do whatever. this, or the one yeah. whatever. Um, if the group has an inner circle, is exclusive, secretive. Um, look out for that. Um, be aware of deceptive measures to convince people or recruit people. And then, uh, you know, brainwashing, um, cults tend to exploit their members either financially, psychologically, or sexually. Um, and the big, the big one is the, to threaten that terrible things will happen to you if you leave. Um, so if you have a loved one who's involved, um, we can't kidnap our loved ones and deprogram them or because that then we'll go to jail. So uh, there's ways to go about helping, supporting your loved one who might be involved in a cult in a loving way. Share whatever evidence you have. You know, if you get the opportunity to be get one on get get them away from the cult, be one on one. If you've got videos or articles or memoirs or, or like books that people have gotten out of cults have written, share that with your loved one lead with love though and be humble um if you can be humble then they will obviously see that this cult leader who is incapable of being humble is a problem that's 
my thought. I'm not Steve Eichel. But um, <laughs> leaving is hard. And sometimes it can take years for people to get out of these cults. Yeah. And I found also that there are a bunch of post-cult recovery resources, including shelters um, and trauma-informed providers that I found um, in an article that I will link to in the show notes. So that's my tip. Do you have anything? Nope. Is that Was that dumb? Oh. That, no, no, that's good. Okay. Thank you. I need Very constant validation. So <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, we had a good week this week with all our emails and voicemails and stuff. We love you guys. What a great week. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Keep them coming. We just we can't do this show without you and like just the the kind words. Um that's most shows really do keeps us going. Yeah, yeah, most shows thank their um listeners at the end. Um, and I, I just really, we, that's now we, we just can't do this without you. So yeah, that's why we do that. So anyway, put it in the front. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so shout out time. We're going to shout out any content by or about any marginalized people of color, othered LGBTQ folks or any, um, any true crime goodies. I just got to say, I got a little bit of both. Um, Finding Tamika is an Audible original podcast. Audible is really coming through with the good podcasts. Um, It's narrated by Erica Alexander. She's Maxine from Living Single. Um, (laughs) And uh, she, it's uh, produced by Kevin Hart and Charlemagne God. So there's a lot of money behind it. Um, And um, we know black girls and women disappear every day without a trace. Um, This is a true story. And it also kind of um there's a venn diagram of finding tamika and black and missing on hbo because finding tamika is all about one girl um but uh tamika's story is also featured on that black and missing series on on hbo um and tamika is a a black girl from houston uh or or, or, i'm sorry she's from south carolina south carolina yeah and um her case became a rallying cry for missing black and black women of color in America. Um, and then I also wanted to shout out, um, ridiculous crime, which is a true crime podcast. Okay. Fucking hilarious. Have you heard of it? Oh, true crime? No, I oh haven't heard of this God. one. Can I tell you about my favorite one? I know we're okay. going late, but okay. this guy, he got super wasted on a plane and he, uh, they cut him off and he's like, fuck this. So he goes to the drink cart and he opens a bottle of wine himself and they took the wine away from him. And then he climbs up on the drink cart, takes a huge dump. <gasps> and- oh, my God. In the middle of a plane? Yeah. Holy yeah. And shit. The, the flight was there. They couldn't do an emergency landing because there was like a diplomat on the plane. Oh, and my so, God. So you can't poop on a plane when there's a diplomat on it because this guy <laughs> would end up going to jail. <laughs> And it's like on a plane with a diplomat. It's crimes like that. That's the the thing I learned from this episode. You can't poop on a plane with a diplomat. I'm telling you that is it's my new favorite true crime podcast because it is just so ridiculous. Subscribe to that one for sure. Yeah, (laughs) it's hilarious and fascinating. And a a black guy and a white lady are the hosts, and they're kind of like you and me, but they just do really funny crimes. Funny crimes. Oh, that sounds awesome. So what do you what do Oh, please do. What do you got? Yeah. Well, uh, I've been watching this show on Apple TV called Foundation. Have you heard of it? Um, no, and I don't have Apple TV. How do you? I, I we'll have to tell me how you get it. But it's it's like any other streaming app. Um, yeah, you- but but uh, I, I thought it was going to be expensive. That's why I never got it before. But yeah. I was told, oh no, it's it's five bucks. It's like five bucks a month. 
So it's oh my god. Okay, thanks. So Foundation is on Apple TV. It's a sci-fi series Uh with lots of people of color in the cast. Nice. And the two main characters are women of color. Okay, eyebrows uh, shot to the ceiling. Sci-fi. Yeah, it's based on a series of books by Isaac Asimov, who's like an old old dude. (laughs) <laughs> old sci-fi dude he's oh, dead now oh, but, oh okay, uh, like okay. from from like back in the 50s or whatever oh um is he so friends was... with the, mr lovecraft <laughs> i don't know but uh i'm sure there I, I know for sure that some of the genders of the characters have been changed and i don't know about the races but i'm sure the race i'm sure it was like all white men yeah, in these stories yeah. So, uh, when he wrote them, but the, it's mm-hmm. been changed for the oh. TV show. And so far, okay. it's really good. Foundation. Um, I'm only, yeah, Foundation. I'm Got only it. about five ep- episodes in, but I, I really like it. You so. really like it. Well, yeah. your word is bond. Uh, so whatever, <laughs> whatever you say, I'm like... <laughs> I don't need to know well, anything else. My friend so Beth told me that. it is so, and I'm just going to believe it and consume it as soon as I can. What else you And got? then I, I have a true crime goodie. Okay. Uh, because full disclosure, it's a bunch of white people. Okay. Brakes are pumping. Tell me a little bit more. It's uh, the thing about Pam on Peacock. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. But it, it was a podcast before. It now podcast. it's a show. Yeah. Now it's a show. Oh. It's a crazy story about Pam Hupp brought to the screen. Ooh. It stars Renee Zellweger as what? Pam Hupp. She's still yeah. alive. Yep, she's still alive. Wow. And guess what? It's narrated by Keith Morrison. No, okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, Beth. Disconnect recording and recording. Bye. You're going to go listen, go watch I'm it now. Gonna, yes, the, right this instant. Wow. Oh, my if God, I can't wait. it sounds ridiculous, it kind of is. The story <laughs> is is really crazy. Yeah. And uh, it, the treatment is like a black comedy, like Fargo or To Die For. So oh my it's God. really entertaining. I, uh, so I, I kind excited. of feel bad. For for liking it because these are real people, you know. <laughs> sure, but, <laughs> but have they haven't they gotten an opportunity to t- kind of tell their story already? Their story? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so. Um, at least they've been granted that. I'm not saying good or good or good, rightly or wrongly, but right. Um, if I, I it sounds like it is it's really a good yeah. entertaining show yeah. and yeah. <laughs> can you be can you be can you blame you for being I, entertained i can't i can't are you not it. entertained yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just speaking my truth <laughs> thank you we all need to do that for fuck's sake yeah we're human beings i'm okay. a little embarrassed but i but i can't help it <laughs> well, don't be embarrassed friend take all that embarrassment and shove it down the toilet because you don't need it you don't deserve it okay being entertained all right i'll flush um, it thank you so um that is again finding tamika an audible podcast um a ridiculous crime wherever you get your other podcasts it's not on audible um and foundation tv series on apple tv as well as about pam on the, the thing about pam the thing about pam whoops <laughs> so oh 
my gosh, this has been so fun. I miss you so much. And um, I'm so happy we get to do this every single week. But until next week when we chat, where can the people find us, Beth? Our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. Join our discussion group on Facebook at Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App or you can become a monthly patron through Podbean. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website. That is right. This is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. detective came and knocked on the door and I said is it Renee and he just gave me that solemn look it was the worst day ever the proof podcast is back with a new case and a new season 23 years ago 18 year old Renee Ramos went missing her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town I don't think that they arrested the right people it's about time somebody's trying to do something she had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done. And that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found.